All right. Welcome, everyone, to this evening's um, sustainability series. This is the first um, time we've ever done a virtual lecture presentation like this. Um, so I'm rather excited to see how this goes. Uh, before I introduce uh, this evening's featured speakers, I want to invite you to also come to some of the other uh, library presentations that we have coming up. Um, the next one coming up is for the Big Read kickoff event, September 24th at 4 p.m. Uh, we have a, a whole bunch of programs going on. We have uh, featured speaker Brian Newland, the chairman of the Bay Mills Indian Community, um, leading a talk uh, to discuss some of the issues that are found in Louise Erdrich's The Roundhouse, which is the NEA's big read that we are doing. And then we're showing a documentary film, This River, followed by a panel discussion uh, with a whole host of um, specialists. There will be several other um, actual book discussions around the um, Eastern UP. The first one will be at the Bay Mills um, College at uh, uh, 916. That's next week. Is that a week from today or a week from yesterday, something like that, at 7 p.m.? Uh, and then after that, we have the scholarship or the scholar series featuring our own um, Dr. Jason Garvan uh, giving a talk on Tuesday, October 6th here in the library on We Only Pay Attention When Something Happens, an exploration of some of the current subtle changes that may have a profound impact on our treasured wildlife and recreation activities in the North Woods. So now I want to um, introduce our featured speakers, but one final other great thing is that we have cookies and coffee and tea and hot chocolate for those who are physically here. For those who aren't physically here, they can get their own damn drinks. So, um, <laughs> so this evening's talk, uh, food preservation, what do you need to know? Our featured speakers, and I'm sorry, Beth, if I totally butcher your name, but you could always butcher okay. mine as well, so that'd be fair. Beth Waitrovich uh, has been an educator for Michigan State University for 34 years. She currently offers educational programming in the areas of family finance and food safety. She holds a BA in clinical and administrative dietetics and an MA in educational leadership. Beth is a registered dietitian. We also have Stephanie Ostrenga Spray who has been an educator with Michigan State University Extension for almost four years. She um, also provides food safety education in the UP. Her bachelor's degree is in clinical exercise science, and she is a master of public health from the University of Michigan. But what's even more important is that we get to know a little bit something else about our speakers. It turns out that Beth and her husband both love basketball, he is a coach, and she is the scorekeeper for him at his basketball games. And Stephanie is running in her first virtual 5K at the end of the month. I think that's pretty cool. So, all right. So, um, welcome, um, Beth and Stephanie. The show is yours, and we have a wonderful audience here who will ask you questions when it's time to ask questions. Okay. So, I think we'll do a little 
first of all, I have to make sure I'm sharing properly, so I'm going to stop the share for a second. Start my PowerPoint. Um, Okay, so I'm just looking for my PowerPoint to hmm. I can see the slides. Are you wanting to show them from Teams or great. That's, what I was, that's what I was trying to do. Can you see the slide? Yes. Yeah. Yes? Yes. Okay, great. Okay, go ahead, Stephanie. All right, so we are going to talk about just a, a basic overview of uh, safe methods for preserving food at home. We're going to talk about the basics of water bath canning, um, steam canning, and pressure canning. Um, many things have changed in processing methods and time. So one of the most important things you can do is make sure your preserving methods and recipes are current and research-based to ensure a safe product. So all of these recommendations, um, we'll, we'll go, kind of walk through them uh, today. Yep, so then go on the next, you're on the next one already. So I preserve foods. Yep. So there are many reasons to preserve food. So on the slide, we have a, a few listed. So increasing the shelf life of your food, providing convenience, uh, retaining the nutritional value of the food, um, maybe follow family tradition. You know, your parents or grandparents have preserved foods. Um, are there any other reasons that any of you preserve foods? Oh, because pickling tastes good. <laughs> yes. Yep, sometimes um, we have a particular food product that you like, like pickles or maybe salsa. Um, so sometimes another one, um, you know, if there's particular recipes you want to use or if you want to make gifts, maybe you're on the holidays, you can do that. Go to the next one. So in the past several months, we've heard a lot of messages about good personal hygiene. So with, with food preservation, same thing goes. You want to make sure that you're always following good food safety practices. So making sure that you're starting out with a, a very clean workstation, all of your equipment is clean, and that includes your hands. So make sure you're washing your hands for 20 seconds uh, using soap and water, and make sure you dry them thoroughly. So to prepare, you want to decide what you want to preserve, which food product you're going to make, or maybe that depends on the, the produce that you have. Make sure you have a research-based recipe. That means it's tested for safety. So the method, the processing times have been tested to make sure you're uh, killing any potential pathogens or foodborne illness. Um, decide whether you're, you're going to be um, 
water bath or steam canning if it's a high acid food. If it's a low acid food, you need pressure canning. Um, and then know the altitude of where you're canning. How are we supposed to know the altitude of where we're canning? Uh, there's a website that we can share. Otherwise, if you just look up your location, you um, can find, find the altitude. Um, most of the places in the UP are below 1,000 feet. Um, there's a few places in like Marquette County. Um, Dickinson. I was say Dickinson. Houghton, um, Iron, County, yep. Western UP. Yep. So those might be above 1,000 feet, and that's generally when you're going to be um, changing your processing times or your, or your pressure, depending on what you're doing. But we can share a link um, towards the end where you can find exactly for your, uh, your area, depending on where you live. So um, the next couple of slides are going to talk or show pictures of equipment. Um, you want to make sure that you have a funnel and a jar lifter and make sure all the product is getting into your jars, not just going everywhere. And the, the jar lifter, because the jars are going to be hot for you to use, you don't want to burn your hands and or drop the product you just spent so much time making. Um, and then a timer to make sure that you have um, appropriate processing times. And then some of the product has to be cooked prior to putting it in jars. It also helps for, for timing that. Well, this one has quite a few pieces of equipment. So uh, clean, sanitized cutting board, making sure that it's you know, easy to cut the, cut the produce. Um, hot pads or oven mitts, make sure you're not going to burn your hands. And then on the, the right, you see a jar lifter, three utensils to remove bubbles from any of your food products, a pair of tongs, and then the stainless steel spoon. So the first, uh, Bubble freer looks like a, a long wand, and the end is curved, so I can remove bubbles. The other end looks like it has a series of steps. And so those steps are um, going to help measure the, the headspace, you know, the, the distance from the, the food product to the top of the jar. So the shortest distance is about a quarter inch for jams, jellies, and spreads. Next step is half an inch. That's needed for most of the canned food products, so fruits, uh, pickles, tomatoes, and then the longest is one inch. So that's needed for um, headspace of food that's being pressure canned. Uh, the next uh, bubble freer is long, slender, and lime green. One end has a magnet for picking up uh, your canning lids, and the other is rounded, and that can also be used to help remove bubbles. And the third is a small, slender spatula. So a handle could be used to remove bubbles as well either the plastic, long plastic handle or rubber special part. Um, if you don't have any of these, you can also use a plastic picnic knife. And the large stainless steel spoon, that's helpful uh, when making jams, jellies, and spreads. So when the spread gets to the desired cooking thickness before you put it in the jars, the spread should slide off the spoon in a sheet. So yep, this, this slide shows uh, some alternative equipment. So if you, don't, um, if you do not have an enamel or stainless steel boiling water canner or electric 
water bath canner. You can use a large stock pot with a lid and it needs to be tall enough so you have one to two inches of water that's able to boil above the jars. Um, and you also need to have something in the bottom to keep the jars off the bottom of the pan. So here's one that's kind of um, tied together. It's using some old, um, some old rings. So I repurpose them on the jars to go on top of that, keeping them from the bottom of the pan and the water can circulate around them. And you don't have any, um, any spots in the jar where you have a lot of concentrated heat that can lead to breakage. Okay, so uh, when you're choosing your produce, you want to make sure that you choose high quality produce because, you know, that old principle of garbage in, garbage out, uh, the quality is not going to improve um, as, you know, as a result of a, a canning process or a freezing process. So you want to make sure that, you know, you have high quality produce, harvest them at the proper uh, stage of maturity. And of course, you want to wash the produce, but you want to wait to wash the produce until you are ready to actually preserve. Um, when, when you wash uh, the produce, you are removing um, nature's barrier that uh, will assist to keep that produce in good shape longer. So just wait until you're just ready to preserve uh, to actually wash your produce. Okay, so um, you always want to use uh, canning jars when you're preserving foods. Um, and uh, remember that uh, when you're using a non-canning jar or a non-mason type jar, um, that you have more potential for breakage. Um, canning jars are made specifically to stand up to the heat process that's used in canning and they can be used over and over again without breaking. So the jars are sealed using a two-piece lid which consists of that flat lid and the ring band and then the jars are heated to a temperature that destroys any microorganisms in the food and uh, that heating process also inactivates enzymes that um, Enzymes are natural chemicals in the food, and they can cause changes in color and flavor and texture of the product over time. So during that heating process, you've got air being driven from the jar, and then as the jar cools, that vacuum seal is formed. So that combination of events eventually uh, preserves the food. Now we're going to talk about different types of packs. Um, you can see um, there's three pictures there. So we're, we're going to talk about cold pack and hot pack. So basically um, hot pack is when you are cooking things in a liquid before you pack the jars and then you put the hot uh, food in the jar 
and then you put any, um, usually you might add cooking liquid over the food in the jar, or like the two pictures on the right-hand side, the applesauce is cooked, and of course, you know, the liquid is contained in the food, so um, you just pack that hot applesauce into the jar. And the jar on the far right, that is a salsa recipe, and uh, you would also heat that before you put it in the jar. Uh, the photo on the left, where we're making a pickle, we're putting the product, the cucumbers, into the jar uh, uncooked. So that is a raw food that we're putting directly in the jar. And then we're pouring a boiling liquid, in this case a, a brine, over the food, over the, the cucumbers that are in the jar. So um, you always want to follow the directions, whatever the recipe says. So if it says hot pack, you don't want a cold pack. Um, and then when you're adding those packed jars uh, into the canner, um, if it's a raw pack, you're going to want your water in the canner to be um, not as hot as, as you would for a hot pack. So the water in the canner for a raw pack should be about 140 degrees and it should be about 180 for um, a hot pack. So the 140 degrees is going to be hot, but it's not going to be um, boiling or simmering, whereas the 180 degrees is going to be boiling. And the reason for this is to help prevent breakage of the jar. So here we um, have two pictures that are showing uh, how to prepare those canning jars. You always want to wash your jars with hot soapy water and rinse them well. And then you want your jars to be hot. So you can see in the picture on the right-hand side that we're keeping our jars actually in the water bath canner while we're getting our food ready to put into the jars. So it doesn't have to be, um, you don't have to boil the jars or sterilize them unless your processing time is 10 minutes or less. If it's over 10 minutes, then um, you don't have to actually boil the, the um, or sterilize the jars. If, if it is 10 minutes or less, you would want to sterilize those jars by boiling them. Uh, they need to be boiled for 10 minutes. But you want to keep them hot. And again, that is to prevent breakage when you're putting um, the jar into the um, the boiling water canner or the pressure canner or the steam canner that we're going to talk about uh, in a few minutes. Also, um, you notice in the left-hand picture, hopefully you can see, see um, we also have the rings and the lids in the water. We're washing them also, um, and then we'll rinse those. And um, for the past at least five years, if you read on a, a package of lids, you'll see that it no longer says to heat treat those lids. You used to have to uh, might put them in simmering water. Don't have to do that anymore. You just wash them and rinse them and then set them aside till you're ready to use them. I'm glad you mentioned that update with the lids because it's very important to read those packages that it comes with because if information changes, it will probably be on those packages. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then um, you're going to fill the jars. Uh, in the picture on the right-hand side, they're, 
the um, woman in the picture is using uh, the jar funnel. And so you would put that funnel in the jar and then carefully pour your, um, use a ladle or a measuring cup like she's doing and pour your product into the jar. Um, you always want to remove any air bubbles with a non-metal utensil like Stephanie was talking about just a few minutes ago. She showed the picture had a, a few examples. Um, you know, you if you have the uh, the, um, the magnet, magnetic um, lid lifter or you have that uh, headspace measure, you can use those. Otherwise, just make sure it's something plastic like a plastic knife or uh, plastic uh, spatula to take to remove any air bubbles. Once you remove those air bubbles, um, you're going to take the funnel out of the jar. You're going to check your headspace according to whatever your recipe said. But after you remove the air bubbles, you might have to readjust your headspace um, if it's something where you've got a lot of air bubbles in and, and that lowers the quantity of, uh, of liquid and, and food that you have in your jar. Then you'll uh, wipe your jar rims clean with um, like a clean, damp paper towel. It's really important that you get any food off that jar rim um, because if you leave food on the jar rim, you may not have a sealed jar when you take it out or when it's after you take it out. Um, food on the rim can prevent the jar from sealing. So always make sure you wipe that jar rim and then you can uh, put that put your um, your lid on. So this is a picture showing headspace. Again, that is the amount of room between um, the inside of the lid and the top of the food, or it's liquid. And um, that's that's what kind of is kind of neat about this uh, this little plastic utensil is that. Uh, for each little stair step, that measures one quarter of an inch. So if you need half an inch of headspace, I believe that's what they're measuring on this one, you would put it on that second little step and uh, easily measure your headspace. But you don't have to have one of those. Um, you could use, uh, for example, a hem gauge, if you, if you know what that is, or um, um, the end of a ruler. But just make sure you clean that off before you use it. Uh, clean it with uh, hot soapy water and rinse it. So again, the amount of headspace that you need depends on the type of food that is that you're processing. Okay, so this picture is showing putting the lid on the jar. Then uh, you add that ring, and you just to just fingertip tight. So you want to be careful not to over tight not to over-tighten uh, that lid. That can uh, cause the lid to buckle and not to seal. So really, really important not to over-tighten. So you're just going to screw that on until you meet resistance, basically. That's all you need to do. Okay, so after processing, um, you're going to um, you're going to time your product. Once the um, the we'll talk about this when we talk about in particular boiling water canning or pressure canning. But after your processing time is done, 
Um, you can, on a water bath canner, you can take the lid off, uh, allow that jar, the jars to just sit in there for five minutes, and then uh, you want to use a jar lifter to lift that jar straight up and out. You don't want to tip it. Um, jar lifter is something that is absolutely essential for, um, for working with these hot jars. So if you're going to buy any of these little um, gadgets that, we're showing, that we showed you, uh, you do want a jar lifter. And um, you don't want to tip the jar. Most of the time when you take that jar out of the uh, water bath canner or the pressure canner, there's going to be some liquid on the top of that lid. And it's going to be kind of instinctive to want to tip that jar and let that, uh, that water drain off. Uh, don't do that because you're jeopardizing your seal. When you tip that jar, you're allowing um, the food also is going to be tilting in that jar, and it could um, get between that lid and the rim of the jar again. So keep it straight. And you're going to find that that little bit of liquid on the top of the lid is going to evaporate very, very quickly. So you want to um, take, when you take those jars out, maybe I'll go backwards here a second. When you take those uh, jars out, you don't want to put them on a cold countertop because that could, again, cause your jars to break. So you want to put down a, a towel or um, have, have a rack that you're setting the jars on. Uh, but a towel, a folded towel works great as, as seen in this picture. So then you just set them, set your jars down and let them just be. Do not move them for 12 to 24 hours. Then you can um, test to make sure that your jars are sealed. Um, you'll notice, you'll hear that popping sound when you, t sometimes even before you take the jar out of the, uh, of the canner. But um, after you set them on the counter, You'll hear um, popping noises that the jar is sealing. Um, that's one of my favorite sounds when I'm canning. Um, so you'll, after you let that jar cool for 12 to 24 hours, you're going to check that the center of the lid curves inward. And if you lightly press on it, if the jar is not sealed, you'll be able to push that center part down and up. Um, another indicator of a sealed jar is if you tap it on the center of the top, you'll hear a, with a spoon, you'll hear a clear ringing sound. So you want to make sure that all your jars are sealed. If you find a jar or two um, that do, are not sealed, you can reprocess those jars. You need to do that within 24 hours. Uh, so the procedure for that is to take the lid off, um, check the rim. Um, sometimes there may have been a nick or a little crack that you really didn't notice that uh, caused that lid not to seal. So you make sure that you uh, check that jar sealing surface. And if there is a nick or a crack, you're going to, you know, have to replace it with a different jar. You will have to reheat that food and then clean your jar out and then put the food back in the, in the, um, in the hot jar. Um, again, 
check for heads, you know, the proper amount of head spray space, wipe your jar rim again, and then use that new clean, a new clean lid. You can't reuse the same lid. You'll have to reprocess again using the same processing time as the original processing time. Um, if you only have one jar that didn't seal, you may just want to put it in the refrigerator and use it up within, uh, within a day or two. Um, or sometimes, um, particularly if you have a jar that uh, doesn't have that neck at the top, if you have a wide rim jar you, and you have enough, uh, particularly with anything with like a half an inch head spray, so you could potentially even put it in the freezer. Um, so those are all, so there's three different things you could do with a jar that didn't seal. Reprocess the jar, put it in the refrigerator, use it up within a day or two, or uh, put it in the freezer. Just remember that once uh, you have a product in a canning jar that's glass in the freezer and it's frozen, those are really brittle. So uh, be careful with that. Storing your jars, you want to store them in a cool, dry, dark place. Um, but before you do that, um, usually people will take that ring off um, most importantly, so that you can use it again for um, something else that you might be canning in the near future. Um, another <clears throat> reason for taking that uh, ring off the jar is that if you have any moisture between the ring and the jar, that can cause that ring to rust. So uh, we recommend taking the rings off, uh, washing them and drying them, and then um, storing them separately so that your rings last for a long time. Uh, you want to kind of wash um, wash your jars off. Oftentimes you may have, if you have hard water, you may have some uh, like uh, mineral deposits on the jar. You can use a little bit of water and vinegar mixed together and wipe that off. Uh, rinse it, dry it, and then always label your product. So you want to put on there exactly what's in that jar. Um, it's easy to confuse things after time and always, always, always date the jar. Uh, we're recommending that you can no more than you can use up in one year. Um, but uh, I get calls all the time and our food safety hotline that we're going to talk about later, we get calls all the time from people that, you know, they, they're cleaning out the basement. Um, Mom went into a nursing home and she's got jars of canned stuff in the basement and they don't have any idea how old it is. So always date your jars so you know how old your product is. So um, there's only three different methods uh, for home canning. And that is a boiling water canner where you're boiling at 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Pressure canning, this is for um, high or low acid foods. And we'll be talking about what is a low acid food and what's a high acid food in just a minute. Um, but in a pressure canner, you are reaching temperatures of 240 degrees and higher. And then on the right is a steam canner. Again, you're using boiling water at 212 degrees Fahrenheit, um, but we'll talk about the differences between a boiling water canner and a steam canner. 
now we're going to talk about canning high acid foods. So high acid foods have a pH from 0 to 4.6. The following foods listed on the slide are safe to can on a boiling water bath canner or in a steam canner. So that's almost all fruits. Um, sauerkraut, foods to which uh, large amounts of acid are added, like pickles. Um, there are a couple items that are borderline, so tomatoes and, and figs. So any of the those food products are going to be um, acidified by adding either citric acid or lemon juice, and that amount will be specified in whatever recipe that you use before canning, provided that it's a, a research-based recipe. So these two, or the, uh, these three um, items are what you can use to acidify your food product. So uh, commercial lemon juice, citric acid, or vinegar with 5% acidity. So as I mentioned um, on the last slide, there are certain foods that have to have acid added to them to make them um, have their pH less than 4.6. Um, so the tomatoes and the figs, um, lemon juice, they use a lot of times with tomatoes to lower that pH below the, the 4.6 mark. So you can use uh, one tablespoon of bottled lemon juice per pint of tomatoes, two tablespoons per quart. Um, you want to make sure, sorry, my dog scared me, <laughs> um, bottled lemon juice because that the acidity is standardized versus having a, a bunch of lemons, it's all going to be different. So if it's bottled commercial lemon juice, that acidity is standard and can be used for canning. Uh, citric acid can also be used. So for the tomatoes, a quarter teaspoon per pint or half of a teaspoon per quart. Um, vinegar is used to uh, acidify fresh packed cucumber pickles and fruits. Vinegar may be white distilled or apple cider. So the note with um, apple cider vinegar is it's going to change the flavor of your product. So think of, you know, if you're using maybe something with, you know, fruit or something that's going to be um, um, not necessarily as sweet, you might want to use something else. And again, the, the key with vinegar is it has to be 5% acidity. So these are uh, two pictures of approved canners for high acid foods. On the right, you can see the water bath canner. You can see the handles for the rack and the jars. And then on the left is the steam canner. So you can see that there's you know, a lot less water in that steam canner. And the jars are kind of almost, um, they're sitting you know, up, up above that. So versus um, you know, in the water bath canner, they're kind of down in, in the canner. And we'll talk about kind of the the pros and cons of that um, in a few slides. The so basics of boiling water bath canning. You want to make sure you have the water simmering or hot in the canner, as Beth mentioned. And depending on on your uh, what you're making, it's going to either be 
140 degrees Fahrenheit for a raw pack or 180 degrees Fahrenheit for the hot pack foods. Those filled jars, as you saw on the last slide, um, are the, the bottom picture on this slide. Those filled jars would be on a rack in the canner, making sure that that water can circulate around so it's even heating. And the water must be over the tops of the jars by at least one to two inches. You then cover the water bath canner and you begin timing the processing when the water reaches a full boil. You want to make sure you follow the recommended processing time for each food item because it is different. So this slide talks um, a little bit more in depth about the altitude adjustments for boiling water bath or steam canning. So as the altitude increases, water is going to boil at lower temperatures. So then you're going to be increasing the processing time according to your altitude. So altitudes over 1,000 feet over sea level, you're increasing the processing time based on the, the numbers above. Um, and so this is going to ensure a safe uh, home preserved product. So this information on this slide is from the Ball, Ball Blue Book. So that website is freshpreserving.com. Um, it's also recipes um, and information on the National Center for Home Food Preservation website also has altitude information. And we can share, we can email these, these websites as well so you have them. So steam canners. Um, processes for steam canners were, um, I think it was a few years ago when they were approved, so it's, it's a newer, newer method. So these are easier to fill, handle, and empty. You can see that there's a much less water in the, in the steam canner, just a little bit at the base. Your kitchen also stays cooler than when you're using a water bath canner. Um, less water, as I mentioned, and also less energy than a water bath canner. Um, with these, you can only use research-based recipes with processing time of 45 minutes or less. So that's kind of the caveat, because you're, you're only putting a couple inches of water, so processing times any longer, you run the risk of it boiling dry. So the steps for steam canning, you want to fill the steam canner with the amount of water recommended in the instruction manual, preheat that, that water, um, so again, approximately 140 degrees Fahrenheit for raw pack and 180 or hot pack before adding your jars. Replacing the filled jars on the canning rack, which you can kind of see in between the jars in the picture. Then you're putting that tall lid on the steam canner and make sure you can easily read the altitude indicator knob. Turn your stove burner on high. Then when the needle on the indicator knob reaches your altitude zone, start your processing time. And then adjust the burner so it stays within that zone throughout the processing time. There's a little bit better picture. You can see like the rack and then the, the closed steam canner. So after the processing time is complete, turn off the stove, but do not remove the lid. We wait five minutes before removing the jars or the food might be under process. Leaving the jars in the steam canner for longer periods of time can cause spoilage, making the processed food taste bad. So again, um, same thing with the hot water bath canner. You're going to lift the jars straight up and out of the canner, again, placing them on a clean towel or a cooling rack and away from some drafts so those, 
those glass jars don't break. And then cool the jar at room temperature for 12 to 24 hours undisturbed. Just as we mentioned before the process, you're going to check the seal and remove the ring bands, and then wash, rinse, dry, label, and date the jars before storing them in a cool, dry, dark place. Beth, you are muted. So now you're going to go into uh, canning low-acid foods. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I knew I was going to forget that. Okay, so low-acid foods are, they have a pH of uh, greater or equal to 4.6. Uh, so that includes all vegetables except for rhubarb and uh, any um, mixed canned fruits, um, meat, poultry, fish, sauces, soups, and stews that are made from low-acid foods. So these foods must be canned in a pressure canner in order for them to be safe to eat. So again, um, decide what you want to um, preserve in your, in your uh, canner and then um, always use a research-based recipe. So when we say research-based recipe, we're referring to um, the National Center for Home Food Preservation um, there's a book called So Easy to Preserve that's put out by the University of Georgia uh, Ex Cooperative Extension, but that's also where the National Center for Home Food Preservation is. Uh, the USDA has the Complete Guide to Home Canning, and we also uh, recommend using, um, or one of our recommend sources is the um, Ball Blue Book. Uh, you need a current edition, however, so make sure that uh, the current edition is the 37th edition, which I believe was um, 2014, and they recently just reprinted it in 2020, but it's the exact same as the 2014. You also want to find out your altitude. Um, so if you live where I live, over in the uh, Iron Mountain Kingsford area, you're going to, almost all of our area is over 1,000 feet. And then as you start heading east toward uh, Lake Michigan, the, uh, the altitude drops below 1,000. So um, with pressure canners, there's two types of pressure canners. There is the weighted gauge pressure canner and the dial gauge. Um, so the left... The arrow on the left is showing a one type of weighted gauge, and um, you can see there's three, I don't know if you can see, there's three small circles on there. One is for, you put the, uh, the lid on, um, or this gauge on, so that it says five pounds, or you can turn it, 10 pounds, turn it, 15 pounds. So the, the amount of, uh, the amount of pressure is going to that causes this this uh, weighted gauge to jiggle or uh, to jiggle is going to change according to which which, uh, which how much pressure that you want. Also, there is an, on that lower pressure canner there's another type of um, weighted gauge. This is a three-piece uh, weighted gauge, and you put one 
you put just the center part on for five pounds, you put one ring on it for 10 pounds and two rings on it for 15 pounds. And this type of gauge um, usually will rock, whereas the one up in the upper left-hand corner is going to jiggle. Then there's the dial gauge where you have um, the pointer on the dial that will point to the um, amount of pressure that is in your pressure canner. But um, if you have a dial gauge, um, you have to have that tested every year, and, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, some other parts um, of the canner, you always have a bottom rack. Um, again, just like in the water bath canner, you need a rack to keep those jars off the bottom of the canner. There'll be a, um, a vent pipe or a pet cock for pressurizing. So after you vent your canner, um, then you will pressurize it. There's also all the, um, oh geez, it's been many years now, where there are safety valves or overpressure plugs. So if you go above, I think it's above 20 pounds of pressure, that pressure um, valve will release and um, you'll have steam but not your pressure canner won't explode. You'll have steam, you know, that'll be coming out of it. And you're probably your product is, you may have broken jars, you probably will in your canner, but it won't explode. Like you've heard horror stories about, uh, about canners exploding. There's also um, usually a flexible gasket in, in the lid, around the, around the edge of the lid. Or um, there also are canners that have um, a metal to metal seal that have a, um, a system where they they lock down and then you screw them screw them down. Okay, so I mentioned about having your dial gauge tested every year. It's very it's very important that your gauge is accurate, and so we recommend testing those dial gauges every year. Uh, normally, um, MSU Extension offices test these um, these gauges. However, um, right now, since we are working from our homes, um, it's not possible for us to test those gauges. So what we're telling people now is to send it in to the manufacturer, um, for example, Presto. And um, if you call our food safety hotline, we'll give you the number at the end. We can tell you how to, how to contact Presto. If oh. you have a weighted gauge, those do not need to be checked. So where would we find our closest Michigan State Extension? How do we know where they are? Um, the MSU Extension website. Make sure you search if you're going on Google or any other search engine for Michigan State University Extension, and there is a list of all the county extension offices, location, and phone numbers. Okay, so then every single county has one? Every county has one except for Keweenaw, and they share that with Houghton. <laughs> I was going to say you have our contact information as well. So if you have a hard time, you know, finding the closest one, you can just contact us and we can connect you. Yeah, sure. Okay, um, so altitude adjustments are a little bit different. Um, if you have a dial gauge, you can increase by, um, 
by one pound at a time, whereas with a weighted cage, you have to increase your pressure by five pounds. So different than the, the water bath canner where you're adding uh, five-minute increments, here you're adding additional pressure. So before you get started, you want to make sure you have everything that you need to can before you start the canning process. There's nothing worse than starting the process and then finding out, oh, I'm missing, you know, my my canning salt, for example. That happened to me, actually, this year. And guess what? There was a real shortage around here of canning salt. So anyway, assemble everything that you need. Wash your equipment. Prepare your jars and lids like um, we discussed earlier. Make sure your jars are preheated, and then you want to preheat your canner. For, in a pressure canner, um, you want to have two to three inches of water um, simmering or hot water, depending on if it's a raw pack or a hot pack. Um, so the hot pack, simmering water, 180 degrees, raw pack, warm to hot water, 140 degrees. Put that, make sure your rack is in the canner, and then you'll place as you, uh, as you finish preparing your jars. Or, and putting the lids on, you put them in the on the rack in the canner, and then you put the lid on the canner with the weight off or the pet cock open. So if you have a weighted gauge canner, you leave that weight off. If you have the dial gauge canner, you will have what's um, a tube called a pet cock, and there'll be a, um, a weight that goes on there. Leave that open. Went ahead too fast. I'll get there. Okay, so these are pictures pictures illustrating that process. So you're putting that two to three inches of um, hot water in the canner and uh, adding your jars. Uh, and then you're going to do what's called exhausting the canner. So again, you're ha you put the lid on, and you heat your canner up until you see a steady stream of steam coming out of your canner. So again, before the weight is on, or if you have a dial gauge, uh, this will be coming out of that petcock. So that's also called a vent port. So you're going to let, let that steam escape from your pressure canner for 10 minutes. And what that does is it gets all the air out of the canner so you have a pure steam environment inside the canner to can in. And that's when you're going to get the um, accurate amount of um, pressure that you need in that pressure canner. After you steam, um, allow that to pressurize or um, exhaust for 10 minutes, you're going to pressurize your canner by putting that weight on the vent port or your weighted gauge on, on, the, on the vent port. You'll begin timing when that weight starts to rock or jiggle, depending on which type of weight you have, or when the pressure gauge reaches the uh, correct pressure. So um, if you lose pressure, 
if you're, you know, you're having a hard time maintaining uh, the proper amount of pressure in your canner, um, and it drops below that target pressure at any time during the process, you could have foodborne illness uh, or spoilage. So if it, the pressure drops below your target at any time, you want to bring the canner back up to pressure and start timing that process all over again. Again, you're going to test to make sure your jars are sealed after the processing time. Before you open the canner, um, a pressure canner, you let the pressure drop all the way um, back down to zero or the, the weight is no longer jiggling at all. So you let that, let that pressure drop in there. Um, then you're going to wait five minutes and then you'll open the lid. So um, do that and then when you take your jars out, you let them set again 12 to 24 hours check to make sure they're sealed. Uh, same process, if you have unsealed jars, you're gonna you know, put a new lid on, reheat the food, uh, all, those, all those steps again. Do not force cool a canner. So, you know, you're tired, it's been a long day, and you finally are at the end of your processing time, and now you have to wait for that canner to cool down. First of all, do not just let it sit all night long until morning. You may never get your canner opened again. But you don't want to put cold towels on or, um, you know, put a fan directed toward the pressure canner to, um, to cool it off more quickly. You need to let that pressure drop um, all, all on its own. Uh, because, again, that cooling part period is part of the pressure canning process. So allow that pressure to drop on its own. I'm having a hard time moving my slide. There we go. Of course it's going to do it twice. Oh. First, I can't get it to move at all, and then I move it twice, forwards and backwards. Storing your canner, make sure you clean it. Make sure that you clean uh, all the vent port openings. You can use a clean uh, pipe cleaner or a thin strip of cloth. Um, and uh, you want to, you know, take good care of your pressure canner because they're expensive. So you don't want any rust. So make sure it's clean and dry before you store it. Uh, this just shows you a pressure canner versus a pressure cooker. Only can and pressure canners. Um, a pressure cooker, like the one, the picture on the right, is not large enough to create the proper amount of um, pressure for the for the proper amount of time, and it'll cool too fast, so the product won't be safe. Also, like things like Instapots those electric pressure cookers are not um, safe for canning. And they have not been uh, fully researched, and we recommend not using an Instapot for canning, even though it might say that on the box. Okay, so now we're going to watch a video. Is there a link there, Stephanie? Um, I have it pulled up. 
I can share. You're going to share? Okay. Right, can you see the video, the spicy cranberry salsa? I can. Okay. Here we go. Hello, everyone. We're going to make spicy cranberry salsa. We have all of the ingredients right here. We have six cups of chopped red onion, four chopped serrano pe peppers, one and a half cups of water, one and a half cups also, 5% vinegar, one tablespoon of canning salt, and one and a half cups of sugar. We also have honey, and we have the cranberries over here. So I'm going to get started in my stock pot. I now have the onions chopped and the peppers. I'm going to add my water. vinegar. I'm now going to add canning salt. I added the salt. We're going to add the sugar. And then I'll add my honey and start cooking this. I have everything in here. So everything except the cranberries. So I'm going to stir that up. It's starting to boil. It smells wonderful. Again, we're going to check back in. Stir it. While well, this is actually cooking, I'm working on getting some jars ready, so we'll put those in some water and get them hot. So we'll check back in after I get the jars ready. Timer has gone off. It's been cooking nicely for five minutes. So I'm going to pour the cranberries in. Cranberries are in. I'm going to stir it up, and we're going to bring them back to a simmer for 20 minutes, and then we'll start the processing times. But I'll show you how to fill the jars, and then we're going to use the steam canner because it's my option is boiling water bath canner. For 10 minutes, so I'm going to get the jars hot, sterilized, and I'm going to use half pint jars. And these are what I have over here. I have a variety of jars because these are going to be gifts. Timer has gone off. I'll show you how to fill the jars. I'm going to fill this jar. I have my plastic funnel on top. So I'm going to just dip some from here, try not to drip it into the funnel. And we'll watch and see how full it gets, and then we're going to measure it. Recipe said a quarter inch from the top rim. And this is a fruit. It has a lot of high acid going on. And I have vinegar in there also. That's why it can actually be water bath or steam canned. So right here is the measure. So we're going to measure that. It's a quarter inch all the way around. I am going to pop or bubble it, so I'm turning it over, popping some of those out. It gets a little sticky, and then I will turn that over and do a quick check again, and I'm right where I need to be. We're going to wipe the top edge of the rim off the jar all the way around, and then we'll put the lid on, and then we'll put it in a steam can. I want to show you what finger tight means. That means that we were able to just turn this so that it just stopped on the jar. So that's what finger tight means. I'm not turning it down real hard. It's just stopped naturally by the jar. I have all my jars in my atmospheric steam canner and it's hot on the bottom. So put the lid on. Okay. I'm looking for the hole. 
pole that it has some steam that comes out. I'm going to put it as well. But I'm also going to go by this dial. This dial is what indicates where I am. I am in the dark green elevation area. And when that red comes up to the dark green, then I'm in the right spot to start timing my atmospheric steam here. So I'm going to keep an eye on that. Now I'm going to also keep an eye on this clock right now. As you can see, it's climbing temperature-wise inside because the atmospheric steam canner is actually close to the dark edge, which is what is indicated by my elevation, less than 1,000 feet of sea level. So as soon as it reaches that dark green, we will start timing it. While my salsa is finishing up, I'm going to show you how to make some homemade chips with cinnamon and sugar on them. I'm just going to spray it. So I'm going to stop there to, so we can just focus on the, on the salsa. Okay. Just, uh, I need to share my screen again. That's not the screen I want to share. I suppose I could. No, that's not going to be correct. Sorry. I have it. Do you want me to share? Sure. <laughs> Okay, so these are the resources that we talked about earlier, the Ball Blue Book, uh, Michigan State University Extension. Um, we have a, a, a lot of resources under our Michigan Fresh um, brand, and so just do a, you can find all these fact sheets for canning, almost anything that is, uh, any kind of produce that's found in Michigan, in, including even how to can venison. Uh, at the Michigan State University Michigan Fresh website. Uh, we mentioned the National Center for Home Food Preservation at the University of Georgia. Um, that's a uh, reliable research-based website. Uh, so easy to preserve. The latest edition, which is the sixth edition, and the USDA Complete Guide to Home Canning. Stephanie, I'll let you talk about the food safety hotline. I think I'm unmuted. So this is a resource, like this number you can call 877-643-9882. It operates Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 Eastern. So you can call and ask any question that you have. So um, anything about you know, preserving food at home, expiration dates, um, food safe after a power outage, um, we approach the holiday season, questions on um, thawing or cooking your turkey, or any, any of those questions, you can call and ask. And then there's also the ask an expert link there. You can ask a, a question um, and an extension expert will get back to you.
we also have um, weekly question and answer sessions. So these are, I think, about a half an hour um, this week. It's going to be, um, you know, since September's Food Safety Month, and then today there are sessions on making salsa. So the questions are going to be kind of geared around making salsa. Um, one's one option to, to learn more. So those, those are Mondays at one o'clock Eastern. And then this schedule is our upcoming topics on Thursday. So we have these sessions, um, one o'clock and six o'clock, and these are longer than our Q and A's. They kind of go into information kind of like we did today, but on very specific topics. So next week is Know Your Canners. Um, following that, you have basics of sauerkraut. Um, in October, we go into preparing soups for winter, making applesauce, and then preserving um, food gifts for winter. So these are the last ones we have um, for this series. And you can share that, that registration link as well. So questions? Any questions from the audience? I, I'm curious. Um, when when you remove the bubbles, you said to use a plastic tool versus metal, and I was curious why. Okay, so for the the reason for using plastic is to not scratch the inside of your jar. Uh, you do that enough times, you uh, you're gonna. Uh, damage the integrity of the jar and you may end up with jar breakage during the canning process. And that's a lot of work to uh, can something and have the, then have the jar break inside your canner before you even get it out. So, and plus it's a big mess. <laughs> Thank you. So what do people pickle meat in? Like I've never seen that and there were a bunch of your examples where there were big slabs of meat there and I'm like, are they in a liquid or what? What is that? Who pickles meat? It's not actually pickled. It's just canned. I used the wrong verb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that canning venison is uh, is a pretty popular activity for people that uh, that hunt. Um, it's a really nice way to uh, have your venison ready to go. It it it. When you pressure can meat, it, it's a long process. It takes the, the canning process, the, the timing of it is 90 minutes. But uh, you get a very moist, tender product that's just ready to come out of the jar and go in a stew or a soup or uh, make a gravy and throw the meat in it. And it's, uh, it's a really nice product. Also, people like to can fish also. Okay. I'll take your word on it. <laughs> Are there any other questions here? Okay. Well, we have the uh, handouts that you sent us, and we'll make sure everybody gets them. So, there's one. Of, I guess I'll do it. And uh, I just want to thank you guys for taking the time uh, to meet with us. And and are either one of you guys? our actual county's extension people or are you doing the job of our county's extension people because you're nicer than our county's extension people 
<laughs> no, actually, I'm based over in Dickinson County, and Stephanie's in Delta County, um, but we do cover the entire upper upper peninsula in the in the area of food safety and home food preservation. Okay. So that's why we're here with you tonight. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time, and I want to thank everybody here for showing up and learning about this. And uh, this is this is actually the second talk that we've had of preserving food-ish kind of. I mean, totally different. But so. Um, Thanks a lot, and we'll we'll be sure to start canning our own stuff. I know that we do some over at our house sometimes, and my family's here waving to you. So, okay. <laughs> thanks, everybody. And okay, thanks. See you later.